Hello, everyone, and welcome to Small Talk, a podcast where we explore the Boston Children's Hospital community through conversation. My name is Denise Downey, and I'm the Nursing Professional Development Specialist from the Emergency Department. And along with me today are my co-hosts. Hi, I'm Teresa Shannon, the Nurse Education Coordinator for Nine East and Inpatient Medicine Unit. I'm Kate Donovan. I'm the Clinical Director of Innovation for Inpatient Medical Programs. And today, we are so lucky to have our very special guest, Tony Impreja from the Cardiovascular Program, to talk to us about her work and her incredible journey here at Boston Children's Hospital. Welcome, Tony. We're so happy to have you here. Hi, Denise. Hi, Kate. Hi, Teresa. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to chat with you ladies today. Great. Well, if you could just tell us a little bit about the Cardiovascular Program. Oh, geez, where do you start with the cardiovascular program? We are a very large program that consists of from pre-birth, there's a prenatal component through adult congenital heart. So we take care of children that either are born with congenital heart defects or we see children who come to us with acquired heart disease. Um, within the cardiovascular program, there is a large arrhythmia service. We don't see very many of them in the cardiac ICU where I work, but there's a fair number of children that are followed for congenital arrhythmias. So they're seen in the clinics. So we're a really big program that is primarily resides in Boston. We have some satellites outside of Boston. And I know we will chat more about the global reach that the program has. Yeah, it's an amazing world-class team of people that cover from the fetus to the adult. Uh, so it's everything and it's wonderful. Yeah, it really sounds like it's a hospital within a hospital that really is an incredible reach and the incredible work that's being done here at Children's. I also want to just start with your story. Can you tell us, how did you get here? My story is actually really interesting, and I, I love to share this story. I went to a diploma program, um, so it was a three-year diploma program, very heavily focused on clinical practice, and took my college courses at Regis College. And when I graduated back in 1988, the job to get in Boston was on Warren Baker 12. It was the cardiac step-down unit at Mass General. And I was hired there. This was the dream job. All my friends at school were very envious of me and they were all going to a job fair. They were gonna go get their jobs. And they asked me to go and I didn't feel well and I had a job. So I said, I don't want to go. And they said, you have to come. We're all going to get jobs. It's in the city. We're going to have a good time. I did end up going. When I got there, I was sick. I must have I had a fever that probably spiked. I looked horrible. And as my fever was rising, I was walking by the Boston Children's Hospital booth and looked down and the person who was at the booth looked up at me and said, oh, are you interested at children's, of, you know, getting a job at children's? And I always loved pediatrics. I, was, I ultimately wanted to end up in pediatrics, but I loved cardiology. And so I shared that with her. She said, well, have you thought about applying at children's? I was a diploma grad. So I said, well, I don't think children's would entertain my application. I'm a diploma graduate. And she said, well, would you be interested? You know, where, like, what do you, where do your interests lie? And I explained, I like cardiac care. And I was in my ICU rotation at the time. 
And she looked at me and said, I have a really interesting job for you. And I, I'd like for you to call me. And she gave me her business card. It was Patty Hickey. Um, she was at the booth. And because she explained the position to me, it was a new graduate position in the cardiac ICU at Boston Children's Hospital. And I honestly thought I had a fever dream. Like, <laughs> I thought, wow, I was really, really, really sick. And then the next day, I went in my coat pocket and found her business card and called and said, is this real? And she said, yeah, we're piloting a program. We're going to hire some new graduate nurses. Would you like to come in for an interview? And I obviously went and was hooked and got hired. Someone got a great job because I had a fantastic position at Mass General that was waiting for me. But I went into the CICU and it was everything that I wanted. The nurse that I shadowed ended up being my preceptor. I feel like she's a legend in the hospital. Her name is Sky Rikerson. And she was just everything I wanted to be in a nurse. She was taking care of a post-op patient and just so smart and so skilled and her way with the families and the way with her colleagues. From day one, I was hooked. Yeah, I love my story because it was very much happenstance and I don't know where I would be if it weren't for that. You all know of Patty Hickey and she has really been a guiding force behind my entire career. She's offered me so many opportunities to grow. So yeah, I think it's a really cool story. Tony, you mentioned that when you walked by, you were hooked. Can you go back there for a minute and just talk about what you were feeling at the time and what was it that hooked you? Well, children's always had an amazing reputation, even back then. And the main entrance that we know now was brand new when I started here. There was a big structure in the lobby that the kids all loved and these stone steps. And there was just this amazing reputation for children's that like even just walking by and seeing all the pamphlets displayed and the I don't know we've all been here for a long time I think you all probably get it right there's that emotion of pride a children's is just it's excellence and one of the things that I point out in my role I'm really fortunate as educator to be a part of the hiring process so we have nurses come in to shadow and we have them come in to look at the role, look at the hospital. And I, I'm always wearing something branded that has the children's logo. And I explain to them, particularly the new graduate nurses who are making a big decision of where they're going to start their career. And, you know, I explain that you want to be somewhere that you're going to be valued as a nurse. And then I point to our logo and say... It is very telling when people look at an image of a nurse holding a child that embodies Boston Children's Hospital. They put a nurse front and center. It's all of that for me, made me very passionate to be a nurse, to be here. I've been here for 35 years. I, I can't imagine myself any place else. You know, and I've had highs and lows. Um, but for the most part, have been just really feel very blessed to have had my career, my nursing career here at Boston Children's. And you started in the ICU, right? Yes. What was that like for you as a new nurse coming right into not just Boston Children's Hospital, as you mentioned, but into the cardiovascular program? Because that's just an incredible place for a new nurse to start their career. What was that like? 
I didn't know what I was getting into, to be honest. Um, I think if I had really known the environment, I probably wouldn't have taken that big of a bite. It was quite the endeavor because at the time I was one of three. We were the first new graduates ever to be hired in the cardiac ICU. And some of the senior nurses that were supposed to be the people there to help support me as I grew were, they were not for new graduates in the CSU. They did not believe that that was a place for a novice nurse. However, there was a layer of amazing nurses that thankfully took me under their wing and helped me grow and develop over time. So and I don't think it's any secret. And I know that back in the day, there was a concerted effort to weed out that layer of negativity. Thankfully, it, it wore itself through. And the people who were there to help support and lift me up, many of them I still work with today. So very, very thankful for. And I try to carry that legacy on now. We hire many, many, many new graduate nurses here. And I really try to be very respectful of you know, where they're starting, help them grow and develop. And what was it like to work with the families up in the cardiac ICU? Uh, so back in the late 80s, pediatric cardiac surgery was really shifting gears, and particularly at Boston Children's. We were at the forefront. So Dr. Aldo Castaneda was the chief cardiac surgeon at the time, and he really pioneered neonatal surgery. So we had families come to us to have procedures done that weren't being done anyplace else in the world. So these families, when you all work in areas where, you know, they they come to us with hopes and dreams and we're not really 100% sure of what we're going to be able to do, right? But we just had this magnificent team and these incredible families who really entrusted their children to us. So for the most part, it was an incredible experience to meet the families. And I think one of the things that it, I get emotional when I think about it is, you know, we see a number of children who succumb to their disease. And what is the most rewarding thing to me is that these families, even though they leave without their child, always say thank you. Um, they're thankful for the care. They're thankful for having had the opportunity to offer something to help their child. So, yeah, we get to work with some incredible families. And not only from the local area, they come to us from around the globe, um, which is an awesome responsibility. And it's one thing that, particularly as we train new graduate nurses, I really want to instill in them that you know, you're part of a team where these families are traveling for days and they're using their life savings <laughs> to come to us and just to really be respectful of that. It's awesome. It's awesome. That's quite a responsibility for a new nurse. It is. It really is. And it's something that I want to instill in them, but I want them to also have confidence in themselves and to know it's one of the things that I think we do very, very well in the cardiac program is we bring in new people, but we really surround them with support. So though they may be brand new and novice in their career, there's always layers of experience and support around them to help them grow and develop. We all were new at some point. So I try to remind them of that. 
also help encourage them to find ways because it is such a stressful place to work and there is so much responsibility that they really need to take good care of themselves can't do this job to the level that we do it every day day in and day out without some self-care so really try to help them strike a balance of fun and seriousness you know we try to have fun in the CIC as much as possible but it's a pretty serious place so you know how how can you balance the enormity of you know helping a family deal with perhaps a new diagnosis or some really difficult news and I think sometimes I have to remind myself the children, for the most part, our um, length of stay is pretty short, but there are some children that are here for over a year. And these families not only have the stresses of having a really sick child, but they have jobs, homes, siblings. There's a lot of things that are happening to these families outside of the walls of the hospital. So really using the team. So though the nurse is there and is the hub, we have so many layers of support from social work, child life, physical therapy, occupational therapy, chaplaincy, the pet therapy that comes through, you know, to find that it really is important for us to find that joy and the fun and the life that they are living, even though it is in the cardiac ICU. So I want to go back for a minute and talk about, get back to talking about your journey. So you started as a new grad here, and then you started to climb the clinical ladder. Can you talk about that? I think the clinical ladder here is incredible and I am so thankful for it. Did not even know it existed when I accepted the position and I was here, I think it was two to three years that at one of my annual evaluations, one of my colleagues commented on how I was a great team player and I was starting to teach and become a leader in the unit and she asked me about you know, advancing to level two. And I was like, what is that? Like in me, how is that even me? Because I knew of this group of leaders in the unit and they all were these amazing nurses and did not see myself of that caliber. And she really pointed out qualities and attributes that I had that I didn't appreciate. I think, you know, it is so important as nursing leaders to take the time to help younger people see their gifts. You know, we're always driven to be better. So we always see that gap of what we need to do. But there's so much in front of that gap of what's been learned and acquired. And this nurse helped me see that. And also explained to me that as I'd be an entry level too. You know, like there's always a continuum. So that made it a little less intimidating. And I really thrived being a level two nurse. I enjoyed the responsibilities that came with the position. I think that's one of the wonderful things about Boston Children's is that we're afforded opportunities to to be leaders every day. And in that level two role, continued to grow and was offered. Actually, I'm probably going to jump ahead, Denise. I'm sure you're going to ask about becoming a clinical educator as a level two, one of the things that we were able to do that were, you know, to be a charge nurse, you have to be a level two and we have permanent charge positions. So back in the early 2000s, I applied for a permanent charge position and I didn't get it. And I was I was devastated. But it was actually one of the best things that ever happened to me because the nurse manager at the time, her name was Paula Moynihan. She was one of the preceptors for that new grad group. So she and I, we were very, very, very close. Like I was 20 years old when I started my job at Children's. I was just a baby. 
And she felt really badly that she didn't give me that position. But she said, I have other plans for you and you have to trust me because I see you in a different role. And it was the educator role. And I hadn't seen myself in that position, but it was a natural fit. So from that devastating news, I mean, uh, my self-esteem was devastated. I was so sad. I really wanted to be that charge nurse, but I got this opportunity to be an educator. And from that position, you know, my career really took off. My life has been a, like, even from that beginning story of meeting Patty Hickey at the job fair, because I wouldn't have been at Children's, it was very serendipitous. At the time that I took on the educator role and worked with Lisa McCabe, well known to the cardiovascular program, incredible educator, so gifted and talented. Simulation was just starting to really pick up steam in the medical realm. So anesthesia was really embracing utilizing simulation for teaching and training, particularly team-based training. And at Boston Children's, Patty Hickey and Jeff Burns found some money and made this tiny little closet into the first simulation space and sent me as an educator to the Center for Medical Simulation to get trained to use simulation as a teaching tool to be a sim instructor. And that really catapulted many opportunities for me because I love simulation definitely fits everything that I embody the whole philosophy of reflection and having those opportunities to learn, particularly in a group setting. So the that foundation of simulation has opened so many doors for me along the way. And that's how I met you, Denise. Was <laughs> I know, which is wonderful. I have to just interject for a moment because Back in the day before I became an educator, they were also trying to push me up the clinical ladder. And I do say push me up the clinical ladder because I had my feet stuck on the rungs. There was no way I was going. And one of my mentors said, I'm going to give you someone's portfolio that I want you to read. I think it will change your mind. And that portfolio was yours. I read it from beginning to end and I just wanted to cry because I just felt like this is a real nurse. This is someone who not only combines the art of nursing, but also the science of nursing. And I just felt like, whoa, I can't compete. <laughs> I can't compete. But that's when I met you and I started to learn about simulation. And for me, that's where the connection happened between, like I said, the art and the science of nursing. I just need you to know, to know that. Oh, it's my God. Funny. I love that. That's Yeah, it's really cool. But don't you that whole le level three process and putting the portfolio together. That was amazing. Right. Um, so it makes me happy that that my portfolio was like that is incredible and that you read it. And I love, you know, I think children's has a lot of structure that exists that initially people might look at. I remember I did when they kind of pushed me to become level three. I was in the educator role and I was starting to do work beyond the CICU within the simulator program. And I had some global projects I was working on. But I didn't see myself as a level three. And then they gave this structure and I started to put the portfolio together. And I was like, wow, like I've built a pretty nice career and it didn't happen like it wasn't intentional. It was very um, organic. 
which I think is the best way for life to happen, right? Like you can't force it. Be open and take those opportunities. I love that you read my portfolio. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. Thank it you. really was. I think I tucked it away somewhere so that I have it for future <laughs> use in case I want to be a level three. <laughs> Wait, you're not? Oh, I'm going to push you up the ladder. <laughs> <laughs> my title's a little different, but that's okay. But I want to go back and uh, also talk about your role as a simulation instructor because I know from really the beginning of the simulation program, you have been really at the foundation. And from a nursing perspective, you really have taken simulation and used that as a tool for nursing education in a way that just really paved the way for others to figure out how to incorporate simulation in their education programs as well. So can you talk a little bit about your experience as a simulation instructor, facilitator, educator? Yeah. I would love to. I uh, One of the things I have to say, though, and I, I've said this earlier on, it should be a thread that weaves through our entire conversation, is this institution and the cardiovascular program have given me so many opportunities. And when it came to simulation, I think that I couldn't have been in a better place to do what I had done because they invested in me. The training at the simulation center in Cambridge was expensive. And the resources that they gave me to build the curriculum as it exists right now, it's astounding to me. I think back and I'm like, wow, they trusted me with a lot. I mean, time, resources, top of the line equipment, the simulator program back in the day. Uh, one of my dear friends, uh, Liana Kappas, she's actually runs the simulation program at Quinnipiac college. I mean, she's amazing. She was the first master's prepared administrator in the program. And so they gave me some skills and then they paired me with, you know, Liana had this breadth of knowledge to really help build a curriculum. And working with Lisa McCabe, Lisa saw that I loved simulation and she loved it too, but there were other pieces of the educator program that needed to be like upheld and maintained and she really gave me a lot of time to build the scenarios and work the curriculum as it exists today. So yeah, I feel really fortunate for that nursing curriculum in particular, which I'm really, really proud of. I always, I get uncomfortable when people say like yours. I know I've been the constant thread throughout. However, if it were not for Lisa, if it were not for in the interim, I've worked with Ruth Bredeger, who is a nurse in the cardiac ICU. She worked in the educator role with me for a while, and together we molded. And now with Michael Greenlee and Shannon Albright, we've been able to take the content and refine it and advance it. And probably my favorite adaptation of the curriculum is one of the nurse practitioners, Caroline Morin, she was a new graduate who I trained. She's now a nurse practitioner in the program, and she loves education and simulation. And we've collaborated to upstand that curriculum. So now it's interdisciplinary. So we have the new nurses train with the new advanced practice providers. So the new nurse practitioners and physicians assistants that join the program. So the team is learning together. And I think that those that use simulation, I think one of the things that's the most important foundations 
to do a simulation, you have to have psychological safety. And I know people are so like, oh, the, the nurses must be intimidated. You know, they have advanced practice providers in the room and the advanced practice providers, they might feel intimidated. Like, what if they're wrong? Because, you know, they work through their thought process as we go through scenarios. And the environment is not that at all. It's very, very safe. And I think what it does is it helps to promote wonderful conversations at the bedside. So the program, and and I, and I love that, don't get me wrong, like your simulation part, it's not mine. I just, I've been that constant thread throughout. It's had lots of contributors and I think it's incredible. I'm really, really proud of the work that we get to do. What's your favorite simulation scenario? Hmm. I can't say all of them, can I? So the last scenario that they do in the nursing curriculum, we call it a mega code. It's a post-op patient that has an emergency crisis that requires the chest to be opened. And I think it's my favorite, not because it's a super complex, like it is a complex scenario, don't get me wrong, but it's my favorite because the team that has gone through the curriculum and we come together six times, this culmination they like get it and they feel really good at the end. And I love that. I I love that they leave and they all can acknowledge from the start the skills and knowledge that they've acquired over the course of their training. It is probably my one of my favorite days. It's exhausting to facilitate that day. There's just so many things you have to plan and prep and to debrief is it's a lot, but it's so rewarding. So I guess that's my favorite. But I would think as an educator, that would be the best because you're seeing actually the culmination of all your hard work and you're seeing that light bulb go off in these new nurses that you met on day one and now you've taken them all the way through the program and you're actually watching them get it. I um, would love to go back. I think they do record the debriefs across the street, but every time there's always one of the participants that says, Remember day one when we couldn't even draw up a dose of morphine? And it's so funny. Like every time, you know, I we will co-facilitate with my other educators and we look at each other because it, it's every time that comes up. Mm-hmm. So they get to see their growth because there's still so much more growth for them. Even at the end, you know, they're just beginning. And I try to reinforce, like, you have to reflect on that growth process. And there's going to be so much more. And it's actually, so I'm really fortunate. So we have the nursing orientation curriculum, but I'm also on faculty for the interdisciplinary crisis resource management program that we run here in the unit. And I get to work with an incredible team of physicians and nurses. And we run high fidelity simulation once a month for the entire team. One of my colleagues for that program is Dot Beck. Dot's like a superstar rock star to me. And we get to put this course on and we facilitate with Catherine Allen and Ravi Thayagrajan. And it's just this amazing combination of incredible talent. It's just like the staff that have gone through the nursing curriculum. I, you can see that thread weave through and then to watch it play out um, in an interdisciplinary way is really rewarding, really rewarding. You talk a lot about your team. I yeah. think that's so important. 
I want to just shift the focus a little bit because I know that you, as part of the team, have done some incredible work globally and overseas. Can you talk about that? The first global project that I was asked to be a part of was titled Heartbeat Vietnam. Patty Hickey had partnered with a nonprofit group that wanted to improve nursing education to the sites in Vietnam. And it was a web-based live webinar. When I think back, the technology was astounding. We live streamed lectures from the conference room on 8 South across to five different centers in Vietnam once a month. And we took the curriculum that we had developed for our training. We had amazing lectures that were put together. So we approached each of the presenters to really polish their lectures get them ready, and we would send them over to Vietnam. They would get translated. The nurse would present the lecture live, and you could see all the sites in Vietnam. We presented in the morning, and it was evening for them. It was so funny. So they had, like, live translators in their ears. So as the nurse presented, they had the slides with the translated notes. It was dinner time for them, so they would have Kentucky Fried Chicken, which is so funny. And they'd hear their lectures, and the curriculum was really well-received. And from that, you know, we really formalized and put these lectures, I think there were 12 all together, and they were hungry for more. So we culminated at the end and brought in all the different presenters for like a live, like meet the expert. You know, Patty Hickey was was what she pulled this group together, gave me the time to be able to. It was a lot of work to take lectures and get them pristine for global presentation. So we had all these beautiful lectures put together. And then again, serendipity, Dr. Kathy Jenkins was at a global cardiology conference and was conversing with some of the surgeons from around the world. And they brainstormed creating a database for centers that didn't have resources like ours. Like, so the centers in the United States we might not feel like it, but we're very, very resource heavy for cardiac surgery. There are centers all over the world. Children have congenital heart disease all over the world, even in some of the most impoverished nations. And they have incredible surgeons at some of these institutions, but their outcomes weren't great. And when they would go to global conferences, they would be comparing their data to data from the United States and Europe. And it was apples to oranges, right? They just didn't have the resources. So Kathy Jenkins and a team brainstormed creating a database and building an educational curriculum for people to put data into the database. They needed like a reward, but just like a hook, right? Like, so this is where the IQIC or the International Quality Improvement Collaborative began. So I was invited to work on that collaborative. So they hypothesized that with education in, it was a quality improvement collaborative, three different domains that outcomes could be improved for children with congenital heart disease and that centers would contribute their data and they'd be, they'd have access to these what live webinars. So myself, Dot Beck, we worked together. One of the arms of the quality improvement, I think this was really brilliant of them. So one of the arms was infection prevention, reducing infection. Another arm was around uh, surgical safety checklists. 
But the third arm was on nurse empowerment. Like, wow, when that project came this way, talk about impact. So we were able to take the content from Heartbeat Vietnam, which was done. It was amazing lectures. They were done. Um, and we had presenters come in and we built a curriculum and rolled it out. And as part of the collaborative, we were offered opportunities to travel to these different centers around the world and meet with the teams. And in some of the webinars, myself, Jason Thornton, we were like in videos to really corny videos uh, to demonstrate communication techniques because we talked about SBAR and lots of things. So, you know, we'd go to visit these centers and they knew us from being on the webinars and to watch the data from the centers that were part of the collaborative and to see over time their infection rates go down and to see the outcomes were better for their patients. At the time, the surgical safety checklist, it was like when Atul Gawande was writing his checklist manifesto book and checklists were, Donna, you guys probably remember at first people were like, I'm not doing a checklist. Like, that's just ridiculous. So you had to get buy-in. Now, checklist is everything, right? So they had that checklist piece that was implemented and all of the infection prevention work that we were able to really pioneer. I believe the cardiac ICU was the first unit to have an infection control coordinator, uh, Deborah Morrow. I believe she was the first in the institution. That was her, her role was all around infection prevention. So she worked on the infection prevention modules. But yeah, over time to see the centers and watch the nurses become empowered with information and language. And I think ultimately what was really powerful for me to see was we all have the same issues everywhere. Speaking up, authority gradient, the same, no matter where you go. And every culture loves to feed you. So, yeah. <laughs> all about food. <laughs> it's all about the food, right? All about the food. That's me. <laughs> That's such an incredible impact that you've had at the end of the day. How does that feel? It's awesome. Um, so I have a love-hate relationship with our annual evaluation process, right? Because it's so much work. You have to rewrite your statement of practice and come up with a clinical exemplar and pull all of your things that you've done. And so it's work. But then at the end, you're like, wow, this is amazing. So I know when I actually sit down and reflect on all of those things, it's really powerful. This recently in the pediatric cardiology world, there's an annual meeting at the Pediatric Cardiac Intensive Care Society. And I was fortunate to be able to go this year. And at this meeting was one of the nurses that we collaborated with from Brazil. Her name is Bruna. And Bruna has taken all of the lectures from IQIC and had them translated into Portuguese. And just to hear from her the passion, it just, it's infectious. Yeah, it's powerful. All of those accomplishments. But then I think for me, I always tell everyone I have the perfect job. Like I have the best job in the world. One of the reasons I say that is I, I'm fortunate I get to be, you know, this amazing role as educator and role in the simulator program. But as part of my role, I also still do clinical hours. So technically about 50% of my time, I'm taking care of patients and 
I love that. Like I wrote um, one of my statements of practice and reflected on like a, you can drop a pebble in the water and you see the ripples. So I like to be that like initial impact, right? When I have my own patient and family. But then I also like to look right and left and see the other new nurses and see the nurses that I've trained. Michael Greenley and Shannon Albright are also educators in the cardiac ICU. And I was Michael Greenley's preceptor when he was a new graduate nurse. And then when Shannon was a new graduate nurse, Michael Greenley and I were her preceptor. So it's just really rewarding to be a part of so many careers and that impact. So aside from the patient care and, you know, teaching people and that's impact to the patients, but also to see the impact to individuals' careers, like Caroline Morin. She was a clinical assistant in the cardiac ICU and then came in as the new graduate. And now she's a nurse practitioner and an educator. And I feel like I've had a little part of all of that. Like that's pretty awesome. So I can see that you've experienced so many things coming full circle, really from beginning to end, from the ground up, from the top down in so many directions. What does the future hold for Tony and Presia? Denise, I was just thinking that the other day. <laughs> I was like, what is my next move? You know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm old, but I am definitely getting up there. Um, so, season. You know, That's the what we like. Yeah, season. Um, and I love being out and about and in the unit, but it's it's very physical being out and about. So I'm not sure where I'm going to land. I think what I'm going to do is what I've always done: is kind of sit back and be open and see what opportunities come my way. I, I love to read. I love fiction, but a nonfiction that I read recently was. It was a few years ago. My daughter actually recommended the book to me. It was called The Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes. So Shonda Rhimes is a wildly successful woman who she like owned Thursday night TV. She was a writer, producer, crazy successful. And she wrote this book because though she was so successful, she realized her there was some opportunities offered to her. And the sister said, well, let me guess. She said, no. She was like, not in a good place, not in a good headspace. And she realized from that moment that she needed to start to be open and say yes, that she was like closing out opportunities. So she dedicated herself to a year of yes. And from saying yes, her world opened up. And she had a pretty great world to start. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but that really resonated with me because I've always been someone who will give it a try. You know, as I'm saying this, I have um, older cousins that I always looked up to. And like I was talking to my cousin the other day and she said to me, like, life is good, right? Like, it's good. I've got great things. I have an amazing career. My kids are successful. Life is good. She said, you're always so happy. And I was like, I, I, I have good things. And she, she reminded me, she said, when you were little, you always would say, yes. <laughs> like they would like laugh. Like that was my like thing. I guess I would just like say yes. So maybe it's been in me since I was a little girl. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you want your legacy to be? That's a big question, Denise. <laughs> I think you should write a book. <laughs> I could. 
aside from my professional stuff, my social life is pretty interesting, but no. <laughs> um, <laughs> That'll be chapter two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know. I, I think if I could be remembered for the contributions that I, so the simulation has been that re really propelled my career and working with the simulator program, Peter Weinstock, he's also amazing, visionary, someone who always has said, if I ask for something, they say, yes, right? Of course. So my newest endeavor in the simulation world is with virtual reality. So we were able to collaborate with Oxford Medical Simulation. And so we, we have these amazing simulations, but they're very resource heavy and they're, you know, I can only offer it so many times for each trainee. So we built some scenarios in a virtual reality headset to allow the nurse to practice calculating medications during a crisis, which is something that, you know, feedback that I had gotten from charge people and new people that they wish they were better at that. That's a skill that they wanted to improve on. So I'm excited for that to see where that goes. I always would say to Peter and to Patty, because, you know, she gave me all these opportunities is my quest is to always be on the front end of the wave. I don't want to be on the back end. I want to like bring in things and I want children's to be at the front. So yeah, I think we have been so far. Yes, we definitely have because of nurses like you. And you. Like we get to invent, Denise. How yeah. crazy is that? So I'm a nurse, but I'm a teacher and I'm an inventor. And yeah, it's amazing. Mentor. Incredible. What advice would you have for folks coming into children's and not really sure if it's the right fit for them or if they're doing the right thing or making the right choices? What would you say to them? I think that people have to trust their intuition. That was something for me. I mean, it was a huge, oh my God, whenever I told my mother I wasn't going to, I was turning down the job at my general, she was like, what? You have to, you know, trust your gut. So if things aren't feeling right, like, listen, don't force things, but always give your all, give your best. Because I know even back when I was new and there were senior people who didn't think I belonged in this cardiac ICU and they were giving me bad feedback, I still found the people that I trusted. So I tried to tone out the noise and really focus on, you find someone that you know has your best interest. Because I think sometimes we can be clouded. So trust your gut, but also have like some confidence. Look for good mentors. There's so many good mentors in this hospital. You walk out the store and find so many people who have so much to offer. But if it doesn't feel like a fit, don't force it. We definitely have a culture here and it isn't everybody's culture. We work really hard. Some might say too hard, right? So if it doesn't feel like it's a fit, then don't force it because you're not going to be happy. And I think when you're not happy, that comes through in your work. We see sad things here. So I'm not always happy. Don't get me wrong. But I always feel satisfied. And I always feel like I've contributed. Um, so I think that those are important, you know, for people that if it doesn't feel like a fit. Maybe it's because you're not feeling like you're contributing or you're not feeling valued. It's always been a fit for me. Those things are important to me. I need to feel valued. I need to feel like I fit. All about impact, right? Yeah. That's why we're all here. Yes. Yeah. I think the point you brought up at the end is perfect, Tony. You know, you look at nursing. Each job may not be a fit. 
And there's really no reason to be miserable in nursing because there's so many options, just even within our own organization. You know, when you can tell, I said, if you're not content, if this, you're not feeling it, there's no reason to be miserable. Because that comes through, don't you think? Like, absolutely. Absolutely. Unfortunately, it's a little bit of a parasite and it can just spread. So it, it does affect everything. Tony, I'm curious as a, as a positive person, what do you do to rest your mind and reset? Um, my family is the most important thing in my world. So go figure, Tony, I'm Italian. Um, so, you know, Sunday dinners and family time are at the top of what I need to recharge and find my purpose. I have a lot of family time on my days off. That's where I find my joy. I love to cook. Well, no, I'm lying. I used to love to cook. Now I love for my daughter to cook for me. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Being with family. And this year we are going to take a trip to Italy together. So that will be amazing. Tony, this has been amazing. I've enjoyed this conversation so much. Very inspirational. And what a shining star for Nurses Week. This hey. is so much fun. You three are honestly some of my favorite people in the hospital. I wish we got to mm -hmm. work together more. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I was really honored. This podcast is sponsored by the Innovation Digital Health Accelerator, Boston Children's Hospital, with support from the emergency department and our inpatient medicine programs. Until next time, thank you for listening to the Small Talk Podcast.